This is Deep Blue, where we get the true life stories of BYU athletes, coaches, and fans. Here's your host, Jerem Jordan. On today's show, I talk with the winningest coach in women's volleyball ever by win percentage, whose siblings played at BYU, but she didn't, whose one sibling is the men's coach, whose dad coached Karch Cry in high school and is among the most respected refs in the United States, and whose mom had a birth with her and her twin that is nothing short of a miracle that included a prophet's hand. Literally. She is Heather Olmstead. Heather, what's up? <laughs> Not much. You just made me sound way cooler than I am. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Okay. There's a lot to unpack there. The the For those who don't know, the OG Deep Blue video yeah. is your story, Yeah, which is pretty special. Pretty special. I thought they did it. Uh, Travis and uh, Michael Dunn did just such an incredible job telling our story. It hasn't been told uh, up until Sherry Dew wrote in, in her, her book about President Nelson our story. And then they ran with it and said, we're going we're gonna to make this video. And I thought it was pretty cool. I was informed in uh, the summer of 2019, hey, we want to we story tell um, and call it Deep Blue. This is for all from Michael Dunn, who was the managing director. Now he's first quorum of the seven. He's big time. He is. He was big time before. Now he's even bigger. He is. I was speaking in uh I general texted him conference. after he spoke, and it took him like a week to get back to me. That's how big time <laughs> he is. But 1% is I what did he appreciate about, right? the text back. That's cool. From a general authority. Not bad. So he and he said, hey, I'd like you to, to lead this, and I've done the first one, and here it is. Yeah. <laughs> so I watched that one. I'm no like, pressure. this is amazing. I, how could I possibly uh, you know, equal this? From, but Mango Media is the company that produced it. Yep. You mentioned Travis Moore, his yep. wife Alex, and, and uh, Jessica Hale, and a whole team of, of producers. They do an amazing job. So for those who haven't seen that, I would recommend just pausing the podcast, literally right now, go and watch it, and come back. Yeah. But if you've already seen it or you're too lazy to le- leave – What's the gist? Well, not the gist. Yeah. What what happened? Because it is one of the greatest stories I've ever heard. Yeah, it's in- pretty incredible. Um, through a lot of miracles, our, our paths got connected with President Nelson through my grandpa, my, my mom's father, um, when she had uh, a tumor in her lung when she was pregnant with my myself and my twin. Um, and she was pretty far along at three, four months. And um, the, the doctors in California said, you need to abort these babies or you're di- you'll die. They'll die. You'll both die. And my parents, being of LDS faith, wanted to find a, a doctor that believed similar, similar to them and values that they believed in. And, and somehow, some way, again, the connection was made to, to President Nelson, who was um, not even an apostle at the time. He was a doctor. Um, and it was, uh, I won't say the year because then it ages me, but you can look it up and find it. But um, got connected and, and he said, um, basically, this is this is operable. Um, and my parents asked him to do it. He agreed. And, and they went from there and he saved my life, my sister's life and my mom's life. And um, we've had a relationship with President Nelson ever since. And he's he's just an incredible human being, prophet. It's it's pretty special, the relationship we have. And then he, then he became an apostle. And then the prophet. So when that um, presented itself, as far as w- when he became the prophet of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Sherry Do heard the story for the first time when she was traveling with President Nelson all over the world. And she said, wait, what? And he kind of just said in passing, like, oh, yeah, I know the Olmsteads and I operated on Trudy. And Sherry Do said, wait, you, you what? You know the women's volleyball head coach and you're talking about BYU? And she made the connection and she wanted to put it in, in his his book. Um Gosh, I just spaced on the biography, book. Yeah. His biography that just yeah. came out a couple of years ago, yeah. and it was already done. The book was done, and she made room for it. She told her editors, I've got one more story. i got to put it in before it was printed. 
And so she she fit our story in there and still get text messages to this day of people that either listen or read um, that book and, and say, hey, I know Heather. I know Nicole, Trudy and the Olmsteads. And because it was just such a sacred, special story, we, we really haven't told it a lot. Uh, it's special to our family. So, of course, family and friends that were close to us knew. But even some of my closest friends maybe didn't know the the exact story till you see the video and it's pretty powerful. He does the surgery with, you know, one finger on an artery, yeah. which he said uh, went numb yep. for hours. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it is. I and just he, think of him lifting his finger off and what that would mean for yeah. your life, for your mom's life, yeah. and that, how he couldn't. And he said that he's never done a surgery like it since ever is the only one wow. that like it. And he, he did it because of my parents' faith, he said, and my grandparents' faith and, and just his ability. And he's just such a great example of faith. And um, really, when I met with him for the very first time, I was in college, got to meet with him in the church office buildings and said some pretty cool things to me just about my mom. And that really affected my relationship with my mom ever since. Mm. Um, some of the things he said to me about just who she is and, and the sacrifice that she ma- she's willing to die for her kids, which every mother is when you go through that birth, it's it's the closest you can get to, to, to death. And um, But she was willing to, to deliver us and to have us and, and risk her own life for that. There's a part in the video where your mom says, your mom Trudy, uh, who says, if I die, I die. Like she was all in. That's where you get the goosebumps. And and then the it, the, the uh, you know narration lays out and it's just pictures of you and your sister. Yep. And it's like, well, we know you. Yeah. We know you live. We spoil yeah. that. But... It is it is so incredible, um, and it and you aren't the first two kids either. Like you had a couple older siblings, right? Yeah, so this is like three. So we were four and five. You were four and five. Yeah, yeah. And so it was pretty. Obviously, I was not born, but looking back and being able to see photos of that time and learn more about that experience for my parents is just it's brought us closer, and it's something we talk about way more often now, which I think is a blessing, and mm. really came to um, for me. The realization that this is my mom's story to tell. My mom's the one that was going to sacrifice her life. I wasn't born, um, at because of her decision and my dad's to to find a doctor of their faith and to have the faith to to let him operate on her and take that tumor out. I lived, and so I wanted my mom as she gets older to be able to tell her story to the world. And I, she, we've got no kidding, emails, texts, letters, just how much my mom has inspired other people or people that now live with one lung. And mm. when she was in the hospital, President Nelson brought his wife in, number one, to meet my mom, but also he would bring in people such as like a marathon runner. I want you to meet this marathon runner who's running with one lung just to motivate her because mm. my mom was a runner, exercise daily. And it, just so thoughtful, you know, to say, hey, you can still exercise. This this woman's running marathons with one lung. And the number one thing he told my mom to help her health was diet and exercise and to to stay physically fit that would help her live with one lung the best, and then never leave Carpinteria, California because it's the most beautiful place in the world. <laughs> Beach, you can't come to Utah. The elevation's too high, but uh, they live in Carpinteria, and they'll never leave. They still live there. Yeah, it's beautiful. Do, do they live in the house you grew up in? They do. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. So we all go back, and we, we, we'll never let them move because that's our vacation home. So <laughs> right. we love it. You're like, even if you move, we're going to keep the house. And Yeah, yeah no, they got to stay there. Okay, so your mom ran and exercised growing up. Mm-hmm. Your dad obviously yep. plays volleyball. Like, um, you know, sports are a thing in your family, I guess, when you're little. Yeah, growing up, uh, my dad is history and health teacher at Carpenter High School, driver's ed teacher, coached all seven of us in volleyball at high school. 
started men's volleyball when Sean was getting to the age where men's volleyball was not in California. It's, it's bigger now. Obviously, it was at Santa Barbara High, but Carp High, where we went, wasn't wasn't didn't have a team. So Sean got on a team there, and um, mostly sand volleyball, indoor volleyball, a lot of club. But both my parents always been super big on on being healthy and mentally and physically. So volleyball was always the thing. Yeah, we'd go to East Beach with my dad, and he'd be playing with like Laszlo and some of those guys, Karch Karai's dad, and have have groups. And he would take the kids on Saturday and let my mom do what she wanted to do. Um, and we would just hang out at East Beach or the local beach in Carpinteria called Linden that we grew up playing sand. They'd drop us at the beach back then. You could leave your kids at the beach and go back home. We live a mile away. Now it's not not so safe. And we'd just hang out at the beach and play and boogie board and body surf and play volleyball and just take turns. I mean, it was just a lot of people on Saturdays and, and weeknights where you could go get a sand game pretty easily. Why'd you leave Carpinteria? This sounds amazing. Yeah. You know, just I actually wanted to spread my wings a little bit and wanted to play volleyball. And I wasn't highly recruited, so I didn't have a lot of options. Mm. Santa Barbara actually was an option to stay. Kathy Gregory, who's a mentor of mine, um, who I love dearly, offered me a, a spot to walk on. And I was like, so if I walk on, you mean I have to live at home? No, thanks. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> and she 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 says she regrets it to this day because I ended up going to Utah State, playing in the Big West, which is why I went to Utah State. They played in the Big West back when I went to college, which means I could come back to Santa Barbara, Cal Poly. There was an East and a West division when I played. And I said, I want to come back to Cali every other weekend. My parents can see me play. So we just, we ended up beating her. So a couple times, a couple times. Nice. Uh, I can tell you enjoyed that. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> and I want to talk about that relationship with her a little bit more um, later. Okay, so... You're you're a twin, or your sister's yep. name is Nicole. Nicole Hopkins. Yep. You can pepper whenever you want. Yeah, I had right? a I had a ultimate pepper partner, doubles partner. She played left, I played right. Both left-handed, but I hit with my left hand. She both hits with her right. Yeah, our dad's left-handed, so we That's got interesting. we lucked out. You both. just watched him and yeah, took to it. I guess both of us picked up, but I hit with my left. She hits with her right, which is random but happens. Mm. And so I played right side, no problem. She played left. Both could pass. Um, could do all the skills and grateful for that. My dad made sure we knew how to do everything. And, you know, I'm not, not the tallest player. So I had to, I had to be able to go offer something to a team and it was, Hey, I'll do whatever you want or need. I'll do it all. I'll tell you. I'm five, nine. You're five, nine. Yeah. Okay. So let's walk through your mom and your dad again, before we kind of lay the groundwork here. Your dad, what was he like as a player? Because I know that he coached Karch Karai in high school. Yeah. They won a state championship, and he's this incredible ref, and he's got this mustache for a long time, and he's yeah. he's like kind of a gruff dude, but super nice. Yeah, um, you know, and, and 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 commanding personality. And now I've learned your mom's a runner and athletic. What well, yeah? What was their dynamic like growing up? Where are they from? Yeah, so my dad's from Santa Barbara, California, Carpinteria, and um, my parents met at Church College of Hawaii, and he played volleyball there, and was not a member. Played a lot of sports growing up, baseball, basketball, volleyball, just super, like you you explained, just fit, athletic, loves all sports and was really good at them. And went to Church College of Hawaii and met my mom and joined the church and had our oldest, my oldest sister, Ginger, over there in Hawaii and then moved back to Santa Barbara and started their family, seven kids in, in Santa Barbara. So he left for college, but landed back in his hometown. And still there. He's still there. Yeah, still reffing indoor women and men and a lot of sand. Now that sand's picking up for AAUs and club, he's doing a lot of sand and he loves it. Sand's picking up for club and AAU. Yeah, it's okay. big in California. And gotcha. there's 
sand volleyball now collegiately, which is right. which is incredible. Funnels into that. Yeah, in fact, of... I always tell people, um, you know, I probably would have done a little bit better if like someone came to me and said, "Hey, do you want to play sand for this school? Five nine, left handed, like can do everything, and we'll give you a scholarship." Like I maybe would have gone the sound sand right route because indoor, I was just so limited. But what I did have indoor was my hard work, my 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 work ethic, and what my dad taught us just playing for him and growing up. Uh, in our household and in the way that we were competitive, and that's that's where I found my success at Utah State. This Church College of Hawaii that becomes BYU. Hawaii? Yeah, BYU. Okay, Hawaii. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So awesome. it's so we got two siblings. Follow them. Lacey, my sister started there, transferred to BYU here, and played for Elaine for a year. And my twin Nicole. Setter? Yeah, she set. She set with when uh, when Charlene Johnson Tagalo was here, and my twins went to BYU Hawaii. And played her last two years there. Went to a JC and then finished at BYU Hawaii. So both played for the legendary coach uh, Navalta, and Sean played at BYU, won a couple national championships, and I went and played at Utah State. So I broke the mold. So were you hoping to go to BYU? Not really. I, I they didn't look at me. I, I wasn't wasn't very good. And then this staff said, "There's just something about Heather. We want her on our team." And I didn't know where Logan, Utah was. I had to take a visit there. You didn't know where Logan was? Uh-uh. I mean, we're from California. <laughs> we just, we'd just we go to Provo to visit our grandparents yeah. on occasion, and we'd do Christmases up here. But didn't didn't really grow up huge BYU fans. Our siblings ended up kind of coming here, which is cool and great. But we were gauchos, UCSB, California. My dad's a convert, so it wasn't really something where we grew up watching a bunch of BYU sports. We watched everything, the AVP, I mean, USA, we were just volleyball You're junkies. You're in a different world. Yeah, yeah it was a different yeah. world. Yeah. So coming out here was definitely different for me, and I fell in love with Logan and Utah State, and it was a perfect fit for me. And think of the kids nowadays. They can grow up watching literally every home match you have yep. or Sean has. Yeah. When, when we're growing up, I don't connect to BYU until I move to Utah. Yep. And then I can actually watch them and go to the games. Right. It's, it's different, right? Um, okay, so – Utah State takes you. You go up to Logan, yeah. which where Rob Nielsen coaches now, which yep. is super cool. They have a connection. Super there. cool. Um, I was in that gym when BYU played Utah State, and I'm thinking, this is where this is where Heather played. Was it the same gym they playing, or was so it we, a different? We facility? played in the Spectrum. You were oh, you were in the Spectrum. I was in the okay. Spectrum. Okay. We had some spec- Spectrum magic. Loved it. Um, and is that a thing? Spectrum magic. Just it's, it was hard to go drive through the canyon and go to Logan, and not a lot of people I think were looking forward to the Logan Utah road trip. It's 88 I miles from the airport. It's just a little kind of off the beaten path. So we we would surprise people. We'd we'd jump on people, and um, altitude's a little higher than some places. Um, and so we, yeah, we I ended up there and had a great career, and it was good for me, and kind of went from there. Yeah, how how was the Utah State time um, in terms of uh, your development yeah. and what you did as a team? Yeah, so the interesting thing about my experience – at Utah State is that it really throttled me into the coaching kind of experience. I didn't know I wanted to coach. My dad, mind you, I grew up with a dad as a coach. I didn't not want to coach, but I definitely wasn't, oh, I want to be a coach. I didn't know. As I went to school, I wanted to be some sort of therapist, a children therapist. Um, just I like talking to people. I just didn't know what avenue I was going to go there, but coaching wasn't on the top of my list. And so what ended up happening was the coach that recruited me ended up getting let go right after and that was really hard when you're 18 you're like what's going on you know you thought this was the coach you're going to play for your whole career but I knew that's where I was supposed to be and then we get another coach who ends up being Tom Peterson for my sophomore 
and junior year who coached here at BYU. Oh, I didn't know you had Tom there. Yeah, for two years. Yeah, and then that's he, cool. we do so well. We go to the NCAA tournament our junior year. We win our little division of the Big West and play Pacific in the in the finals. Um, and we he gets another job, and so I get another head coach my senior year. And so I had three head coaches in four years, mm. and looking back – Pretty early on in my career, I could see how that really shaped, gave me some uh, ideas and gave me some some things that I wanted to to emulate and, and possibly not as well that I didn't know at the time was was actually going on. And it was really hard when you get a new coach one year, but three years out of four, it was it was a trial. Um, but I tried to see the good in all of it, and I knew again that's where I w- wanted to be. And I was grateful for the opportunity to play volleyball there and. Um, I just made the best of it, and we ended up going to the tournament again my senior year. We were really good. We played BYU in the first round. It was Where? Elaine Michaelis in, in Utah at Utah. It was 2001, so it was um, September 11 year where everything went regional. And so they were like, we're not flying anyone anywhere mm. 2011. Yeah. Uh, excuse me, 2001. One. Yeah. And so we played BYU in the first round, and Utah played Texas Tech, and we beat BYU – 16-14 in the fifth set. Ooh. And that was the last match that Elaine Michaelis ever coached. <gasps> I didn't realize that. And she retired. Oh, my gosh. And we played Utah. Heather Olmstead <laughs> caused Elaine Michaelis. No, <laughs> I'm not just at all. I'm just kidding. Not at all. But I remember playing against BYU and just being impressed with the way that Elaine ran her program, the athletes. I mean, my sister went here. So I knew I knew about BYU and I'd watch. But, again, never got recruited, never really had an affinity for, oh, BYU, I want to come here. I knew I wasn't good enough to go to BYU. And, again, I was just grateful for the opportunities I got and the looks I got. But I just respected what she did, and my sister just adored her playing for her. So it heard so many good things. So playing, you know, Elaine during my collegiate career was just such a an honor and and – to have a relationship with her now that I do and to be able to call her and, and ask her questions and see her at games. I mean, it's, it's something very special to me. After you beat Utah, went to the sweet 16, you went up into the crowd, you acknowledged Elaine who sits right behind yeah. us, which is super fun. I was trying yeah, you got to say a great hi to picture. Elaine. Oh, you she's got, great. You sent and, me I a great took, picture. and I took a photo yeah. of you kind of holding her hand, which is yeah, pretty, pretty special. Yeah. I didn't, that was the only picture I had. So, um, I appreciate you taking that picture. And I was like, two great coaches it's, hanging yeah, out Yeah, and she, you know, yeah. she's just so, such a part of BYU tradition. She's unbelievable. Um, and she's so smart, and she's just got so many. I mean, we're third all-time in wins in, in NCAA Division One volleyball, and people don't know that. Third behind. Really? I didn't know that. We're third, and like a thousand and something of her, you know, like – it's amazing. It's just she's incredible what she did and the program that she built and the young women that she recruited and just trying to carry that on and, and make her proud and, and, and trying to win BYU's first national championship for women's volleyball. I believe it's the only sports facility named after a woman. Okay. The court. Okay. I think. I'm trying to think around. I don't know that there's another one. Might be. That's yeah. notable. Yeah. Right? Um, she was the women's athletic director for years as well, championing women's sports, Title IX forever. Known for her volleyball, but she did much more than that as well. Coached basketball at some point, I think, too, or something. Yeah. Like, her influence is pretty pretty notable, and she comes to, like, every match. Yeah. Still. She is. She's like, in, she is awesome. She loves it, and she's talked to our team quite a few times, and still the wisdom that she has and what she shares with the girls is really sweet, and they listen, and, you know, we just have to keep reminding them who she is and her legacy and you know we've got some some players on our team that whose parents played or moms played for Elaine and so that helps and 
we just want to keep telling the story of what Elaine and the, and the tradition and the foundation that she laid for, for this program and the success we're having is really because of her, and, and we're just trying to keep it going. Does the NCA start at a certain year for now it's NCA Women's Volleyball? Because I know for a long time it was like some other organization. Yeah, it might be 78 or 80, I think. Around then? Yeah, I think okay. so. Third yeah. in wins. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and, and in fact, the top five, um, we talk about this in recruiting because it's something we want out there. Sure. Everyone in the top five of wins has won a national championship but us. And so mm. we we want that. We, f- we feel like we've got things in place and, and players that – allow us to get in positions to have that success. And so we're not afraid of it, and we're trying to f- follow the footsteps of men's volleyball here who's won a couple, and we're going to learn lessons along the way, and we're going to grow, and we're going to have ups and downs and just enjoy the relationships that we're building with each other. And, and that's really what it's about is relationships and how we can influence the the young women in the, these programs to believe in themselves and to – go want to conquer the world and, and change lives and other people. How would you describe how you feel about that goal? Because not everyone who wants to win a national championship says yeah. they want to win a national championship. That is a stated open thing you've said, though, over the years. We yeah. want to win a national championship. Yeah, I feel like it requires some you know, vulnerability just to, to know that it's something that may or may not be achieved, but we're willing to talk about it and to put ourselves out there. And I, I don't think we're far off from say if, if it was something that we couldn't do, you know, I think maybe that would make me feel kind of silly. But because I believe in, in our, our staff and our players and the admin and BYU support, I think it's something that we should strive for. And again, we have to learn lessons along the way that are going to help us even get to that goal and beyond and, and do things, you know, much more impactful than, than winning a national championship. But it's it's fun to win. And, you know, we've been in that in that match recently and in the final four and we want to get back two of the last nine final fours yeah one as an assistant for you one as a head coach which is pretty awesome okay back to tom peterson at at what point does he take does he take penn state before byu he took um oh gosh he took penn state before um then he went to slick coached women's and then he came to utah state and then he went to new mexico and then he went to men's volleyball penn state men's at that point is my timeline right he he went he wins um, one at Penn State yeah and then then he, he goes to Slick I think then he comes to Utah State when does he come to BYU he comes to BYU like in ninety nine to two thousand two years assistant yep. yeah then and he then, went to New Mexico coach women then he took the BYU job then he's a then BYU he went man to wins State. 04 with yeah. your brother on the team yeah. then goes to Weber State and then goes to Weber and State. now he's gotcha. at Southern Virginia coaching the the, the BYU ish of the yes. East we like to he is there doing a say. good job that's cool yeah that's awesome yeah Thomas Thomas great. Okay, so you you play at Utah State. You have a successful career. Yeah. Now what? What happens? Yeah, so I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, and I figured let's keep playing volleyball as long as I can. Missed the libero by one season. So my senior year, I'm playing mostly DS, serving, a little bit of setting. The next year, they get libero in college. I miss it by one year. And my dad, to this day, like Ugh. is mad at me. He's like, I told you to redshirt. And he did. You should have redshirted it. I'm like, who redshirts like 20 years ago? Like, <laughs> And so I miss it. Is that it. not a thing? The year after I graduated libero. No, no, no. I mean redshirting. Yeah, yeah. But like, I mean. If you're not good, you redshirt. Good. Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay, so okay, you're, okay. you're getting my drift. Like, yeah. it just, <laughs> I didn't really realize. So I said, well, I'll go to Europe and play. Or play pro league. And in the, at the time. they had What's the, pro league? 
So they had the USPV, United States Professional Volleyball. Okay. Kevin Hambly was one of the coaches. There was four teams. Former BYU player. Yeah. Stanford. Stanford. Yeah. There's one in Natty. Yeah. So he's coaching, and there's four teams, and they're like Chicago, Detroit. I don't really know the teams. And I'm like, I want to go play in that league, you know? So I go to the tryouts in Chicago. They're expanding to eight teams. So I thought, well, I might, maybe someone will pick Just me up. Just doubled my chance. Yeah, exactly. Maybe someone will pick me up. So in the fall, after I graduated, go try out. And it was great. I actually got drafted. Um, the team wasn't set on, but Kevin was like, I am me, like, Olmstead, like, if I can get you, I want you. Like, <laughs> just such a good guy. And I knew he'd coached USA. And I don't know if he'd coached at UNLV then, but maybe just USA. And just a good coach and player. So it goes bankrupt. It's done. It's It, it doesn't ever it, – it goes away. So the four teams are gone, oh. and there's no eight teams. And, and so I'm left just pondering, okay, what do I do now? And I knew some – some people who had a company that would take you to Europe and let you try out and kind of do some tourist things it's called Bring It Promotions. So they said, hey, you can pay us and we'll take you to Europe and try to get you on a team. So I did. Um, I sold my car and didn't have a ton of money. <laughs> I had to pay for it myself. Like just didn't have a ton of money. You know, student athlete. I'd coached during college for Carl McGowan for his, it was Canyon Volleyball at the time. Sean and I went and did a bunch of camps. And so I had some money, but. That become gold medal? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So I was back with the OG Canyon Volleyball nice. Camps for Colin McGowan. And learned learned, learned coaching, learned volleyball there as well. Um, that was a big part of my, my history and where I learned some of my uh, principles and values about how I'm going to coach and what kind of coach I'm going to be. So I go to Europe. You and Sean, you said? Yeah, we coached together. Not all the time, but we coached quite a bit. Yeah. Did you ever do a camp at BYU? No, the closest we got was Mountain View. Um, in I think when Erica Lott was in high school, and we we're like, nice. she's good. She's yeah. legit. Yeah, and she came to BYU. Yes, she did. Um, and so um, I go to Europe, and we're going all over Germany, um, Slovenia, and just, just touring and playing, and teams, the coaches that you play against can watch you. And the the people who are in charge said, I've got a team in Croatia, and they want they need a setter and an outside hitter. And I'm like, well, I'm a libero. So, and he says, well, do you want to go? And I had set in college and you know me, I just said, I said, I'll do whatever. I'll do whatever the team needs. So me and another girl go on a train. They're like, it's, it's, it's Rijeka, Croatia. I said, where is Croatia? <laughs> and so I, you didn't even know where Logan was. No, we didn't have cell phones. <laughs> so I, it was barely when cell phones were starting. So I, I couldn't really look it up. So somehow we Googled on the internet where Croatia was and all we read about, which is not great, was just about kind of the war and mm-hmm. how there was it was it wasn't great reading about it. We just didn't know, and I'm like, okay, I don't know if this is safe or if we should go. And we both went and we tried out. And you we just both, jump on trains. Yeah, they sent us on a train. They got a ticket and sent us there. How and, long is that trip? Oh, I don't even know. I don't know what part of Europe I was in. Like I don't know. Ten hours, twenty no, hours. No, like, it was like we were in Slovenia or something. We were oh, close. Oh, you were nearby. We were somewhere. You're in the yeah. former Yugoslavia already. Yeah. We, some. I mean, we, it was all over. And so they sent us on. <laughs> you a, don't even know. You're just like, oh, let's go. No, to I don't. I really don't. And we. <laughs> We got off the train and I could smell the ocean. And I'm I'm a beach girl, so like I'm it, home. Yeah, I could sniff it. Like mm. it's just my thing. The Adriatic Sea, probably. Yes. And so that was comforting to get off and smell ocean breeze and just fresh air. And then we tried out, and both of us looked at each other and we're like, we we both want to stay. And so the coach or manager or something says, well, we can't pay you both, but we'll split it. And we talked about it, and we're like, let's do it. Like, it was about the experience for me. It wasn't about the money. Trust me, it wasn't a lot of money. I wanted to to experience the culture and 
um, found the church over there, found some missionaries and was able to go track with them and just hang out and go to English classes and do the stuff that all missionaries do and play volleyball. And it wasn't until like the end of the year when we were losing a lot that I was like, no, really, I'm a libero. Like <laughs> they made me set and we weren't losing because I was setting. I'm not going to blame anyone. Are you starting? Yeah, I'm playing. Yeah. yeah and the other yeah. Americans playing, too. And we're two two Americans playing on this Croatian team. And I, I was like, really just try me at libero. Like, you know, again, I'll do whatever. It was about the experience. But I wanted to try that. I just I missed it again by a year. And so I got to play a little libero and um it was one of the best decisions I ever made to, to go experience like six months in Croatia, half a season, because they picked me up at the second half a season mm. because I'd missed the fall because I was supposed to go play pro. Um, and, yeah, I've been back like three or four times to Croatia. It's like my second home. You've been back yeah. three or four times. Okay. Uh, I've talked to several people who talk about Croatians. Croatia is this hidden gem yep. in Europe. Yep. Like there are those who know and those who don't. Yeah. So Europeans beautiful, right? vac- vacation there. They go to Dubrovnik and they – Europeans, when they want to go somewhere, you know, to vacation, they go to Croatia. Not always, but it's pretty it's pretty well known in Europe. Did and Rob Nielsen go to Croatia? So he served there as well, which is random. Right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So when I get back, he's on the team at some point, and I'd always go up to him and be like, Bokakosi, and he'd just, like, look at me. And, and I was like, I played over there, and he served over there, and so that's a little connection that we what have. What did you just say? I just said, hi, how are you? Yeah, hi, that's all I know. Yeah, and then nice. I know how to count to 10. Um, but <laughs> Like bread, please. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. and so I did Italy. Um, I haven't done Greece, but it's 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 a special place. The people are, are sweet, um, very caring, and it ended up being really safe. And it was, again, one of the best experiences. I took my mom and my twin, Nicole, back, well, in 06, and we toured Italy and Croatia, and mm. it's one of the our favorite trips of just – our adult life just to go back us three and I showed them where I lived and ate and you know it's a cool experience playing pro and it's different that's awesome do you know the BYU connection to Croatia uh yeah uh basketball player yeah, yeah. for sure yeah Who's in Zadar yeah yeah, yeah. so BYU's always had this kind of connection there yeah um and vice versa they know BYU yep which is crazy okay so you play pro that then at, at what point are you like Okay, I'm a coach. Or are you still trying yeah. to play somewhere else? No, so I actually am thinking of playing because once you get your name out there, people see you and you start, you know, what if you They're play like, well? Look at this kind of setter libero. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> this utility player. We're not sure what she is or what yeah. she does. She's 5'11 in heels. We know that. <laughs> yeah. So I come back. One of my best friends got married in the summer in Logan. So I go back in the summer to her wedding. And my – remember my third head coach when I was a senior – his name's Bert Fuller, another mentor of mine. He has a job opening. He goes, do you want to coach? Mom said, do you want to coach? I want to hire you. I was like, no, I'm not coaching. I just said no. It was like straight up, I'm not – I didn't think I wanted to coach, and I actually wanted to go play. You're still in I'm a player. Yeah, but I definitely had got the itch out. What I did was suffice for me. I felt like I had done – served my purpose. Like, I really did. I wasn't chasing anything. As a player. Yeah, I just – I felt fulfilled even getting to play a little bit of libero over there. And so – um, things just kind of evolved where he talked me into it and said, I think you should consider it. And the weird thing was I was one year older than the girls I played with. And that was a transition that I had to figure out. And he helped me through that, just being the same age as the girls you're coaching. And mm-hmm. then my best friend, whose wedding I went back to, was on the team. And so I had to navigate that. And I knew when I started coaching and I was around the gym and being able to to give back in a different way than a player that that I didn't know right away, but I knew that I liked it. 
Wait. didn't know that was what I was going to do. Was there a moment or was it all put together? Um, there was a couple moments for me. Yeah, I had a couple moments where I was doing something locally and I was running a court just for some tryouts. And I had a coach that I respect just say, kind of look at me and say, I, you're, you're going to be really good if you want to. And like just gave me that confidence. And mm. I, I wasn't looking for that. And things that people had said along the way that that helped me build my confidence. That's one thing that I've really never lacked is confidence in just the way that my family, we were raised. Our parents did a great job because we we had always done the work. We'd worked hard to, to feel confident, whether it was in school or athletics. Um, but of course, confidence always wavers and you have those moments of doubt where you have to dig deep. And so I had people that were building me up um, and I appreciated it. And so Three years into my coaching at Utah State, the head coach, Bert, takes the assistant position at Utah under Beth Lanier. And she ends up having two positions open, and Bert said, you should hire Heather. And so she hires me. And that was probably another moment where I was like, oh, boy, like, this is – they were top ten. They were really good. And I could just see the doors open from being, you know, moving – not not up the ladder, but to just more resources and learning. And I was able to learn there. And she's another mentor of mine for five, six years and learn a lot about coaching and relationships and how to run a program. So probably that transition from Utah State to Utah, I kind of was like, oh, boy, I think I'm stuck. In coaching? Yeah. Like, I, I love this. I, yeah, I, did, I, I just did. I did you start to love it at some point where you're like, oh, my gosh, this is my calling? Um, and do you feel that now? Like, yeah, I I feel pretty passionate. I feel because you don't have to per se, but probably. Right. Right. I I feel pretty passionate about the young women that we get to be around, to be blessed with. Very talented, very smart, um, very kind, giving women. And I've had that experience everywhere I've been. So I feel grateful that I've had really good teams and, and also really good coaches to learn from and mentor from. And that have really set me up to succeed. And so um, I think, yeah, I think I'm always just trying to evolve as a coach and, and, and find out what, what it is. I'm, whether it's a person you're supposed to affect every day, you know, who can I help today? Who, who needs me? Like, who can I connect with? Because when you're coaching and you've got a team of, you know, 15, 20 players, maybe you don't connect with every single kid. But my job is for them to feel, you know, wanted and loved and like have that confidence that that I had and that people helped me gain, which is why I got into coaching, because somebody believed in me. um, And I wanted to give that back to young women and and believe in them and and hope that they have the type of confidence that, you know, we we see that they could have and and be the very best at whatever they do. It's an awesome thing. And I'm not a coach, but I guess kind of. Uh, I oversee 12 students on our social team and done it. And you're exactly right. It's so fun to hopefully influence in a positive way yeah. somebody. Like that impact is so cool. Yeah. It and, just is. And the yeah, I get goosebumps just thinking about the people in my life. You know, if if we want to go there and talk about the players that, you know, impact you, you know, the McKenna Millers, the Mary Lakes, the Cozies, the Amy Ball. I mean, I could go on and on. I'm gonna forget. Um, Whitney Young Howard. I mean, it's just the list goes on. Emily Lewis, like those are relationships that I have now and the way that um, it was able to evolve even over their careers um, is pretty special. And that's what it's all about. Let's go there now. Um, your mom in the Deep Blue video says "In uh, this is your mission in life to coach to change lives of young women. So she can see it, too. 
Yeah. And she's obviously seen what coaching can do, being married to uh, Rick, who coached yeah. as well, which is awesome. Okay, so I've gathered a couple, not a not a ton, just a couple, uh, <laughs> former players. I asked them to give me maybe something meaningful or a story. And so uh, you don't know uh, what these are, so I'm okay. going to read them and All then right. get your reaction. Okay. Okay. McKenna Miller, McKenna Asu now, her husband Alex, crushing it on the men's team. Yep. So fun to watch. Uh, Heather taught me to be assertive and confident with myself. I feel so assured of who I am because she led by example and showed me how to stand up for myself at a time when I really needed it. Mm-hmm. Our relationship took a lot of work to get where it is today, but I'm so glad we worked for it because she is one of my favorite people in the world. Yeah, she said to make sure that I told everyone she's my bestie. <laughs> <laughs> but she, uh, yeah, that's that statement is, wow, pretty powerful. Like how, how cool and how special is that? Um, to just know that the four years and the ups and downs uh, and what you went through that you had players mature enough to to stick through it and to handle the feedback and to handle the critique, the good and the bad, and to come out just amazing young women and McKenna and what she went through. And um, she had overcome a lot in her career, and, and she was such a great player and a great teammate and a great leader. And so the relationships now, as, as, as everyone, get your players get older and you get older, it just means more because that's what it's about. Coaching is about the relationships that you have and how how you can build them and make them stronger. And again, you're going to go through ups and downs, but I mean, that's life. Okay. Uh, and I want to talk about the 2018 season and her mm-hmm. injury and mm-hmm. all that a little bit later. Okay. Kennedy uh, Eschenberg. Heather's in, this is longer. Heather is an amazing person. I'm grateful for the memories and friendships we have shared. She cares a lot about us girls. And one of the things that she does really, that really means a lot is throughout the year, she takes the time to write personal notes to us. Are these handwritten? Yeah. That's cool. Okay, these personal notes really meant a lot to me, and I still have them. She wrote me one when I was deciding on where to go for sports mm-hmm. and school that was very influential in my decision. Mm-hmm. Um, she wanted to play basketball, maybe, She did. Right? She was legit. You influenced her to play volleyball. Heather is also a really fun person, loves to do fun things. Every year, she swims to the buoy with us in the cold San Francisco <laughs> Bay. She's also very competitive. I have loved playing little games with her throughout the years and seeing this fight in her come out while we were playing pickleball, ping pong, or any other fun game like the animal game. What's the animal game? Uh, it's just like a game we play up at the retreat where you you close your eyes and someone's in front of you, you make an animal sound, and you try to guess who the person is based <laughs> off their tone of their voice oh, that's or whatever. <laughs> they always know who I am. I lo- <laughs> they do? Yeah. They always got you? Yeah. I can tell why she is so successful because she's very competitive. I love Heather, and I'm grateful for my relationship with her and how she has really helped me uh, make my experience at BYU so magical. That one's sent from Germany, by the way, yeah. where she's playing now, which yeah. is pretty cool. Kennedy is an all-timer here. Yeah, she I is. I know you've talked about this. Yeah, and I didn't bring her up. That's why I didn't want to bring up names, but she she's pretty special. Um, and the letter that I wrote her was when she was deciding I, my biggest – um, challenge was BYU women's basketball to get Kennedy and Sean. Sean was a head coach at the time too. Oh, he was the head coach at BYU. And I wrote her a letter and it's funny because as I was getting ready for our banquet to write her another letter, I found this letter and read it and decided not to bring it up when I, when I spoke at the banquet about her. But her mom came up to me after crying and said, we have that letter you wrote Kennedy when she was deciding where to go. It was back in what, 2014 or 15 because she was a 16 freshman. Um, and, uh, she basically said that that was after Kennedy read that letter, she made her decision to play volleyball. And I never heard that. They'd never told me that till after. But in the letter, it just basically said, like, I, I believe in you. Like, you're, you're a stud. You have good eye work. You have good hand work. You have a knack for blocking. You work hard. Your parents are, have raised you right. Like, all these things that we saw in her. And 
it all came true. Like she's the best blocker to ever play at BYU, you know, leads all sorts of categories. Her hitting percentage went up every year. She hit 425 this year. She's an All-American. But she did that. You know, I could write that to almost every kid we recruit. That's that's how quality our kids are. But not every kid becomes that Mm -hmm. because it's up to them. They have a choice and everyone has a choice what they're going to do when they get to BYU. And, and how hard they're going to work and how much they're going to listen to their coaches and how much they're going to put into relationships. They have a choice to either kind of grow and, and bloom where they're planted or kind of retreat and get a little scared, a little timid, and maybe waste a year or two or three. Not quite sure about Heather or the staff or them pushing me so hard or this goal we have. And she jumped right in and she became everything that we saw in her and I saw in her. And it was pretty special. And COVID sucks, but what it did give us was an extra year with yeah. some of the greatest athletes in BYU yeah. history. And I don't think that it's coincidence that the 21-22 season is the best overall year in the history of BYU sports. Right. We had some amazing people be able to have an extra special year, and we're still seeing it yeah. um, with some of the sports on campus too. It, it's pretty special what happened. Yeah, Kennedy being a sixth year, she redshirted right in 16. We had All-American Amy Boswell and Whitney Young Howard ahead of her. So like she's like, amazing she's like, yeah, I'll redshirt. Duo. So she redshirts in 16. <laughs> Good decision. She starts as a freshman in 17. And uh, sends up playing f- four years plus the COVID five this past season. And um, you know when when it came out that we got to have these kids got to have an extra year, I couldn't get the words out soon enough. I was like, Kennedy, do you? And she was like, Yes, I'm coming back. Don't have to ask me. I'm coming back. And it was awesome. it was pretty special. And she, there was just no doubt in her mind. She didn't have to talk to anybody. She just she knew what she wanted. And if it was a possibility, she had already made up her mind. And it's a lot of reason why we were so successful in, in the two seasons in one year in, in, in 2021. She's like the nicest person I've yep. ever met. She's amazing. Okay, last but not least, Kenzie Kerber. Yep. So uh, she says, so after the Purdue game, this is the Sweet 16. Yeah. Uh, the end of the season. When I was sobbing, walking off the court, she pulled me – uh, to the side and told me, there's nothing more you could have done. And that was just a very emotional moment because all season she had supported me so much in a moment when I felt like my world was crashing down. I felt supported and felt like we were going to get through it together. When she pulled me back into the back of the locker room after when I was hysterical and helped me try to calm down. Uh, she has always been a mentor to me, and even now that I'm gone, there's nobody else I talk to every single day, and there's nobody who has helped me through this transition more than Heather and who cares about me more as a person. Your relationship with Kenzie is yeah. a unique one. Mm-hmm. One that started where you didn't want to tamper with her um, as the BYU coach yep. on, a, on a national team in Japan. Yep. And then later she decides she wants to come to BYU. Yeah. T- tell me about the Kenzie Kerber story because it's, yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah, I, I, I get to coach three University of Utah athletes, really good athletes, uh, well coached. We go to Japan in 2019 and Heather Nighting's on our team, who's like on my United team. United States college U- national team. Yeah, U.S. national yeah. team. And it was in Japan and it was one of the last that they've actually done internationally because of things obviously with COVID. But um, so I've got these three players and, um, you know, I just, I found them to be, I found her to be personable, coachable. She was funny. She was a joy. And every time I turned around, she was standing there. I was like, whoa. <laughs> And she just liked, she told me, look, I like, I like coaches. I like listening. I like talking. I like, I like interacting with coaches. And so she ended up telling me that she got baptized and I knew who she was because we played against her and she was amazing. And she, I just said, you, what? You got baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Because she's a non-member. And I was just fascinated. I was like, tell me about your conversion. And it was two weeks before our trip. She had gotten baptized. And I said, oh, it's like super fresh. Two weeks before. 
And then she goes, I wanted to get baptized before Japan because I didn't want to change my mind after or have anything or something get in the way of my baptism. Mm. So she wanted to do it before this trip. And there was kind of this chunk of training. And I just thought, how cool is that? That's super impressive. She told me her conversion story. And it's it's special. And she knows what she wants. Her testimony is so fresh. It's She's just very spiritual young woman. And, um, yeah, she had the opportunity to play that extra COVID year like others. And she got her degree and, and wanted to have a different experience. And, and we had had a relationship that we didn't know was going to lead to me coaching her ever again. I was grateful for the time I got. And so she knew a lot of the girls on our team and McKenna Miller and some of these good influences, and she wanted something more. And we talked about what she was going to get here, and I tried to explain to her, like, this is not easy. BYU is not easy. Our, our team has high standards, and she says, no, Heather, that's why I'm coming. I, I want to win a national championship, and I want to be coached by you. And I like your competitiveness, and I like the way that you push your players, and I want to be coached, and I want feedback. What was that like? Well, I was like dream come true. And it was this All-American who's decorated and done amazing things in her own career that says, I want to come get better and I want to learn and I want to help and I want to be a part of whatever I can, wherever I can. You tell me, I'll do it. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm this All-American and I'm just going to come in and rule the school. Like she didn't have that. She was humble. And I think a lot of it was just the fact that she she had been learning about the church and her opportunity to be around BYU. And, you know, you meet Tom Homel and Brian, all these administrators who are just so friendly and so giving of their time and want to build as well. And I just, I think it was so new to her that she soaked it up for sure. Her six months that she was here that um, it's been really hard to, to, to see her go and that it was so short because it was so good. And it really was almost like a dream type fairy tale for her if you asked her because I've talked to her quite a bit and um, it was just that besides the ending you know that was hard but even when I said that to her I just felt so proud of what she'd done the whole season her collective work and um, she just left everything on the court you could see it when you watch her play like she had nothing left sometimes to the Back where you had to take her off the court, literally yeah. injured versus yeah. Yeah. Utah. Yeah. She and I said on the air calling the the regular season match. Uh, I said, I almost wonder if emotionally she has output mm-hmm. so much it went into her calf. I think, like I think maybe physiologically that happened or something. I think there was a lot that went into it, and I think she was just giving it her all every day, and she showed up to practice excited and and gave everything she had, and that's emotionally and physically draining in yeah, and of itself. For sure. And not that she hadn't been doing that, but it was just on a different level where she was engaged and she was – I mean, I, and I told her, this whole team last, last year it was so special. You guys will never play again together. Like, let's let's do the very best we can and let's make a run at it. And we, we felt really good about the whole team and everybody buying into their roles and the pieces that we had and the places that we were going. And, you know, it was, it was special. It was really special to win 30 matches in any year. Not only that, you got two seasons in one year, and you add the 17 matches we won in the – I mean, we won – is that 47 matches? I think you were 47 and 4 in 2021. I, you just – you know, <laughs> and, and that's that's the success of the, the players like, and the coaching staff that have great support, you know, and Dave Height and Johnny Neely and had a great volunteer in Shane Ty this year and my Dovo. Everyone's a part of it, um, and everyone – Director of Volleyball Operations, yeah, Dovo. Yes, and everyone, our trainer, Dan Graham, who kept us healthy for two seasons in one year. Yeah, it Dan's all, got a great shoe game, by the way. It, it all contributed, yeah. yeah. And so yeah. 
Um, very grateful for Kenzie in that she was able to end her career at, as a BYU. I mean, I don't know that there's anyone that has played for a shorter amount of time have th- this type of impact at BYU. Mm. Doesn't have a degree from BYU. I mean, is she an alumni? If you take 12 credits, you're technically an alumni. Oh, she took like eight and a half. So, <laughs> so no, she's not. And that's the that's the name of the game now with the with the portal. It's it's yeah. you've got these kids that want something different for just a minute. And do you bring them on? Do you not bring them on? But I'm in the business of changing people's lives. And so imagine if I don't do that, how different her life is and the lack, you know, the relationship she missed out on, and even mine and hers. And that's that's the business I'm in. Is how many lives can I change who wants this opportunity at BYU we're really unique and it's not for everybody and it was just like a a really good fit you have to embrace that in some way just whether you embrace that fully or not right Um, and you've done it with other transfers as well and it's part of the deal 30 and 2 this year sweet 16 you've been to the sweet 16 at least the sweet 16 in six of seven years that's unbelievable how do you every year continue to produce teams that get to that level. That's wild. Yeah, I think, again, it's a credit to the players that we bring in. Everyone's ready for their moment. We talk about that. So we lost some All-Americans. Okay, who's there are girls waiting for their time to step up, to prove themselves that they can be the next All-American or just the next great BYU volleyball player. And so who am I to tell them that this can't be the next team to go to the Final Four? I mean, what am I doing every day training if and my staff if we're not really thinking that we can make something happen? Like, there's no off years for us. And I, I talked with you about that on air. Like, I don't like I, I, I don't like to say we're re what did you say rebuilding? Like, we're always building towards a national championship. Until we've won that national championship, we are every step is a building block to to win it. And you don't know what year that's going to be. I mean, we thought we had something special this year, and we fell short. And we hit the same goal that we had hit in April of the same year, and we. We felt like we'd gotten better, and that's sports for you. You're going to win some and you're going to lose some, and it's it's how you respond to those losses and, and the girls that are coming back that get to say, okay, I'm going to learn from it. I'm, I'm going to – it happened. Now what? So what? Now what? And, and what can I do as a returner to not let that happen again? And you just – there's no guarantee. There's no it's guarantee. Life. 2018 is, uh, you know, one of, if not the best BYU women's volleyball team ever. You're part of 2014 where you're unseated and you mm-hmm. go all the way to the title game. You're the assistant coach. Sean takes the men's job after that. You take over. Um, tell me about 2018 and what made that team special to be okay. able to go, uh, you know, what, two losses yeah. that year? Uh, uh, you might have had four. Or do you have four? Okay. Yeah, you're number have. one for most of the year. Yeah, no one talked about us. No one was talking about us. You're oh, no- 18. Sorry, sorry. Wrong 18. year. 14. Okay. Eight- you're oh, num- yeah. You're oh, number yeah. one for most of the year. Yeah. Um, McKenna Miller gets hurt. Um, late in the season, you lose the last regular season game, but you're still a top four seed. You go to the final four. It was like such a magical, amazing yeah. season. Okay, so rewind back because we didn't really talk about the transition from Utah to BYU. Because this, let's this, do it. This has something to do with it. Why the 18 Please. team is special? Because Please. when I came in 2011 and Sean got the head job and and said, "Hey, do you, I want you to come coach with me?" And again, I was like, mm, like <laughs> it just wasn't like BYU. You know, it's it's great and. We talked. I knew the recruits he was getting. We were battling Utah BYU for recruits. I knew the players. <clears throat> and he told me his vision. And, I mean, he sold me. And I wanted to be a part of what he his vision was and what he was building. And I believed in him. And so we get to the finals in 14. And then that next summer in 15, uh, he takes the men's job. And so that the seniors in 18 were freshmen in 15. 
and we were sitting in the room when the admin came in and, and, and it told the team and all the freshmen were there. It was the summer. It was June. And there, this bright-eyed, bushy-tailed freshman, this 2015 class, which is Ronnie Jones is a part of it, and she's a non-member, um, the twins and um, Emily Lewis, and it was a big class. And they say, we're going to make this switch. And Alexa Gray was a senior, and Sierra Parker, I think, was Camry Willards. And, I mean, just amazing players, but... This major change was happening, and and that you would be the head coach, that I was going to take over and be the head coach, and Sean was going to coach the men. And again, being having gone through it as a player, like they didn't sign up to play for me. Like I mean, everyone wants to play for Sean, so you don't. They didn't sign up for me, and so now they get me. And so we had very specific conversations right after that meeting about um, what do you want to do, Lex? Like what do you want? And, and instead of of maybe. Uh, what's the word? I don't even know the word, but just thinking about what was happening, we went to what does this team want to accomplish? And I talked to each person individually right after that meeting. But my relationship with those 15 class is what – and their buy-in to BYU and they didn't leave. And nowadays, a coaching change happens. Kids are splitting pretty quick. You have a it's one-time ha- transfer. You can go It's wherever. happening a lot, yeah. right? So 2015, sure. these kids are sitting there going uh, – and nobody nobody leaves. And Ronnie jones Perry's like, all right, let's go. And by their senior year in 15, 18, excuse me, they'd been through heartbreak, right? They'd been through a five-setter match point against Texas heartbreak. They'd been yep. through a five-setter heartbreak against Kentucky. And in the 17, after the season, heading into the summer of 18, Lindy, Ronnie, Donnell, uh, Emily, all these players just, they said, we, we want more. And we talked about it and we had developed that trust and that our relationship was so good that I could be honest with them and give them feedback. And we had such great leadership. And then you had McKenna and Mary come in in 16, right? And they didn't bail either. They're like, yeah. They, I mean, they 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 were committed by Sean. I mean, we just barely finished the class where Sean had committed kids. I mean, we're just barely getting through, you know, the four-year cycle. And so these these players were just matured beautifully over their careers and really led that 18 team and were able to bring the freshmen along with them. And that's why that 2018 team was so good. The leadership that we had – and then they got better at volleyball. Like we told them straight up, like we're not good enough. Like, and and we're kind of in the same boat a little bit. Like, what are we gonna do to get out of this sweet six? Everyone thinks it's so cool. I mean, we're heartbroken over what happened. We're one point away from going to Elite Eight. And so, what are you gonna do individually as coaches and players to get better? And they took that to heart and take us to the number one ranking and beat Stanford and um, they take us to the Final Four. Crowds of 5,000-plus that year. Yeah. The Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight were some of the greatest matches ever played in that yeah. gym. Yeah. And that's saying a lot. Yeah. It was special. You know, goosebumps every match. Um, and the, the opportunity to host and to, to get that top, you know, four seed that's so uh, valuable to, to be able to do that if, you, if, you, if you're lucky to keep winning was – I mean, it, it was special. And our kids, our players took it, advantage of it, led by Ronnie Jones-Perry – and for McKenna, you know, to miss out on that opportunity, that was heartbreaking. That was hard. Um, but our team rallied around each other, and we missed her. Um, and then to see her come back and fight back to come back and play that senior year in 19 was just one of the mo- more incredible stories at BYU. When you're an assistant coach in 2014, going to the Final Four is awesome. Mm-hmm. Did you have a moment where it felt validating, sort of like, okay, I didn't want to be a coach necessarily at first. Here I am. And 
we we did it as a staff. Like you did. That's a pretty big moment for you individually, I imagine. Yeah, in fourteen or eighteen. Eighteen, when it's like now you're the head coach. Yeah, I think you know I um. I just believe so much in our staff and our players, like. And it's weird because you don't really even know how good you are when you're in it as a coach. You're like, are we good? Are we not good? Like, <laughs> it's hard to know because you see all your faults. That's interesting. And so it's just like you, you critique yourself so much that, like, other people will tell you. Like, I remember in 14 we went out to a, a tournament in West Virginia. It was one of our first tournaments preseason. And one of the coaches was like, oh, see you guys in the Final Four. And in 14 I was I, what are you talking about? But that's how people saw us. In 14, obviously, we were underrated. But people, yes. they were talking about us. But we were ranked. But – that was the type of conversations where it's like, oh, I don't know if we should talk about it because are we really that good? But that moment, um, yeah, the whole experience, like because it was my second time and now as a head coach, you know, I'd had I'd had mentors and people that helped me through and Sean through the 14 of what to expect. So I, I knew what to expect. I tried to prepare the team a little bit better in 18. I don't know that we did a great job, but we tried the best we could. I don't really think you have to be there a bunch of years to break through and win it. Like I don't I think if you're good, you're good. And I think there's and that Kentucky proved that. They won a national championship. Um Wisconsin finally broke through and won. So, I think if you're good, you're good if if and it, and you need your best players to play their very best in the biggest moments. And that's what you need. And that's what the best teams that win national championships have. Mm. And that's what it takes and coaches need to coach their best and everyone needs to be on the same page and um and so the whole experience for me, Jerem, was just I appreciate it so much more because it was my second time. And you just never know when you're going to get back there. And I wanted the players to enjoy it and experience it. I wish we would have played better, but still grateful. You know, Stanford had gotten better over the year. And we we I I will I will go to my grave that McKenna Miller that 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 was really hard for our team to overcome. And although mm-hmm. we got to the final four, I think we're a different team with McKenna Miller. One hundred percent. So and to get to the final four and play at home um, with what we did have was was awesome, and I was super proud. Um, but it was it was fun to match up again with Stanford. I just wish we would have played better. 2011 men's basketball still asking if Brandon Davies plays with us. Right. What happens, right? You ask these questions. You talked about your mentors, Kathy uh, Gregory yep. at UCSB. Yep. Um, I did ask Sean about anything I should bring up. He, oh. he brought up uh, Mark Uyayama. Oh, Mark Uyama. Yeah. Uyama. Yeah. Uh, as a mentor as yeah. well, someone that you talked yeah, to. Yeah, he's uh, he was my my GA strength coach at Utah State, and um, then he came oh, wow. back when I coached at Utah State for those three years. He they hired him as the head strength coach, coached a, the strength and conditioning program there for a couple of years, and then took the Niners job and was at the Niners for like almost ten years, and was most recently with the Vikings. And so, we've had a really uh, close relationship where um, we can talk about coaching and philosophy and, and books and. Um, he, when I'm maybe having a rough go or I'm a little emotional, he'll he'll keep me a little level-headed because coaching, you, you have a lot of ups and downs. And I, I'm trying to go a little bit more into the neutral thinking that's kind of trendy right now about, okay, you know, what happened now? What do I need to do? How can I go forward? But yeah, Mark's- That's neutral thinking. Yeah, yeah. Like just not get emotional about it. Like, not take a side. Yeah. And I re- we read that book over Christmas. I did It Takes What It Takes. And um, it's the Alabama kind of- tri- um, Wilson, the Seattle Seahawks guy, it takes what it takes. And Russell so, our, Wilson. yeah, our team's going over that book. And it's the neutral thinking of, of just, you know, it's what we had to do in the first set against Purdue. We, we didn't play well at all. And so, the second set, it's like, okay, that happened. What are we going to do about moving forward now? And we ended up playing two really good sets, you know, and got to a fifth set and we're in a really good position to win that match. And so, he's, he's been able to help me uh, mature. And, um, but I have a lot of mentors and a lot of coaches that have, 
guided me and a lot of people that I can call at any time and just say, hey, I need some advice or I need some help. And I feel very blessed and started with my parents and my dad and the mentorship they gave me in coaching and just in in working hard. And, and they told us at an early age that, you know, they couldn't afford to send us to college. So we'd have to find our own way. So we either had to get an academic scholarship or an athletic scholarship. And that is one of the most powerful experiences of my life because I had to figure it out or you take out loans. Um, and that really, I think, shaped a lot of us, uh, the seven kids, into to really thinking for yourself and working for what you want and knowing what you want if you're going to spend money on it. And um, so anyways, a lot of mentors, a lot of good mentors. With 50-plus wins in women's volleyball history, you're number one in win percentage. What does that mean to you? That's pretty cool. I think, right, that we've just got really good, special young women on our team. I and mean, it just doesn't happen – without talent. And that's, that's the most important thing. Like you've, you've got the talent. Can you coach them up? Can you guide them in the right dis- the way? Can you, can you lead teams as the staff that I have again is, is experienced and is passionate about teaching. And I think, you know, it's funny cause I, I know teacher coaches are teachers and my dad was a high school teacher and I yeah. didn't want to coach. I didn't want to teach. And here I am being a teacher. And had I known that I would have got a teaching degree at Utah state. Cause I think there's nice, things to learn in college about teaching and methods and so I had to learn on the fly and then what you end up learning is just it's about relationships and so you say 50 wins and all those wins and I mean it doesn't happen if, if you don't have the trust and you don't have the relationships with your players that they're going to go to battle for you and, and that, that they know you know some of those girls says that I, I'll do anything for them and I'll go to battle for them and I'll if they need me I'll be there like just call me text me whatever um, but to see the, the players that I've coached be be you know, women and, and business women and um, mothers and influence communities. I mean, Boswell's a nurse in Houston and Cozy's a boss lady and, you know, they have kids. <laughs> of and, course, Cozy is. Yeah, and they're just, like, killing it. Mary's, like, doing people's money and, you know, <laughs> Kenna's killing it and s- supporting Alex here and yep. after she got to play. So that's what it's all about, the relationships, and um, it's so fun. It's almost more fun, you know, w- when you've gone through their careers and you can, like, go to the movies and hang out and go to dinner. And that's that's – I always – I get kids trying to, like, nudge me, like, hey, let's go, you know, to the movies or eat. And I'm like, hey, let's wait till you graduate and, you know, and then I'll mentor <laughs> you. And so – Is that awkward if they're a player still? Oh, yeah. You try to – you yeah. try to – there's a line and, you know, you, you want to always – we have a family, right? Like families hang out and we tr- we just hang out so much on the road, you know? It's like, yeah, we need a break, you know? <laughs> but you have like other things you want to do or people. And But I, I, I go to the movies with McKenna and the crew and it's so fun to see everybody and see them at the men's games, which I love to attend because I get to see people. McKenna's getting a lot of camera time this yeah, season. Yeah, and awesome. she should. It's Alex is, is killing it and doing well. And I'm excited about the men's team and the development they have. And I just get to sit and just pop my popcorn in my mouth and relax for, you know, whatever months until our season starts in August. That's awesome. Well, thanks for the time. I appreciate uh, chatting with you. This season was particularly fun for me because I got to call, I think, all but two matches. And it was fun to just be there because I'm I'm a fill-in for Spence. Uh, Spence couldn't make as many matches uh, this year, so... Mm -hmm. I'm this close to asking, hey, can I just do all of them? I love like, it. Th- this was so fun. So. Well, thank you. Yeah. And uh, you guys obviously always do a good job broadcasting and oh, and, and just getting the sport out there and, and BYU. And we I appreciate what you guys do and the support we have. And thanks for having me on. This is a volleyball hope, school. Hope someone tunes in to listen. <laughs> well, if they got to this point, they oh, did. Okay, there you go. And it is um, a volleyball school. I like that. Yeah. we got to get that T-shirt made for everybody. Okay, thanks, Heather. Thank you. 
Okay, that'll do it for us. Listen to previous episodes on the BYU Radio app or where podcasts are found. For Heather Olmstead and producer Tanner Graff, I'm Jerem Jordan. You've just listened to Deep Blue on BYU Radio.